Welcome, everyone. We are beginning a series on what's known as the Apostles' Creed, entitled, I Believe. Now, depending on your background, again, when I announced we were doing this series on the Apostles' Creed, you may have either been excited or nervous or bored or like, why? Why would we do a series on the Apostles' Creed? You see, we live in an age where individuality and really innovation in some senses shape the way we think about the Christian church, that we think about our, our, our faith. There's so many questions and various interpretations among people that it begs, to me, the essential question, what really matters about our faith? What is at the core of who we are as followers of Christ? And to help us answer that question, I want us to look over the fall, really, from now till November. We're going to take apart the statements that are included in what's known as the Apostles' Creed. And before I jump into the weeks ahead of examining the creed itself, I want to... I want to give some foundations, a little bit of history, not too much, although I like it a lot, um, a little bit of history, and to talk about why we're going to do this together, and I think it'll help frame for all of us why we are doing this series. And I also want to give credit, um, Matt Chandler just finished a series a year ago and has published uh, a a discussion guide in a series of sermons called The Apostles' Creed, a book by Ben Myers entitled The Apostles' Creed as well. Both of those I'm leaning heavily on uh, as we jump into, jump into this series. And part of the reason that it's kind of funny that we would be looking at The Apostles' Creed is because, for, for those of you who don't know, fullness is Baptist in both its heritage and where we align ourselves at the moment. Uh, we, we, most of us come from a Baptist background, and Baptists are not known as creedal people. Uh, we, are, we traditionally are people who stand on the Word of God and the community of believers, the autonomy of the local church, but as far as standing on creeds, we would not be considered creedal versus other denominations such as uh, Episcopalian, Anglican, Roman Catholic, Methodist, uh, which do lean more heavily on uh, some of the creedal statements. So I, I want to give some background to creeds, and then specifically this creed, and why we're going to look at it. Let me just say this, creeds, this is, our, this is my view, this is our heritage view, uh, this would not be true in every denomination. But my belief is this. Creeds in and of themselves have no authority. Creeds are statements of faith. The creed that is stated derives its authority upon the Word of God. Uh, if it doesn't derive its authority from the Word of God, then the creed, I don't believe, has authority. In other words... It's like the sun and the moon. Uh, the sun, the moon has no light of its own. Its light is derived from the reflection of the light of the sun. And, and to me, that's really what a creed does. It, it reflects the light 
of the Word of God in a, in a different way, or maybe a more concise way so that it still gives light, but as a reflection of the greater light. Also, let me say this about creeds. Most creeds, for those who have some background in biblical and his uh, church life, a lot of the creeds have both a theological and political component. Now, I'm trying to, without going into a lot of history, um, the, 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 many of the creeds were derived by church councils. Uh, the church was, the Roman Catholic Church, the church as known as the church, was founded in the early 4th century. Constantine was converted uh, in th the early 300s. The Edict of Milan was, what, 312, 313 A.D. From there, the Edict of Milan was where the church, the state was no longer going to persecute those in the church. The church becomes a part of the state, so to speak. It's when the church, as the church, as a political entity and as a major entity, was established. Following that, there were a series of questions about beliefs. And many times within the church, you would have two different groups opposing each other as far as their beliefs. So when the, the, the prevailing truth one, a creed would be stated, and many times it had a political component, we won, you didn't, uh, kind of thing, um, statement within the context of the church. So for many people, they react to the creeds because they think, oh, these are political statements. Now, here's why the Apostles' Creed stands different. The Apostles' Creed, from what we know about it, there are forms of it that can be found having been distributed to the church in the second century. That's the 100s, uh, by the way, uh, the 100s AD. So 200 years before the church even was founded, you find versions of the Apostles' Creed floating around uh, being discussed. And by the way, it's called the Apostles' Creed because according to tradition, each of the 12 lines was written by a different apostle. Now, this is probably not true. It makes a great story. There's no way to know it. Um, but according to tradition, that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. Really, it's called the Apostles' Creed because the truths contained within it can be found in the teachings of the apostles. Uh, it, it, it mirrors the word of, word of God. But just to give you an example, one of the earliest uh, writings that we have in Christianity is a treatise by a, a guy named Hippolytus of Rome. Hippolytus wrote a, a book called The Apostolic Tradition, and it's dated 215 A.D., and in it he describes a baptismal service. Uh, and so I want to kind of reframe his wording um, of a baptismal service. Now, let me just say this. Some of the things I'm going to say about this baptismal service you're going to find shocking. I think, it was, uh, I think it was Craig who posted about how Gabe, uh, Abe 
had said, had heard about John the Baptist, he ate locusts and baptized in a river, and that's how he wanted to be baptized. I would suggest you not share this with him. Uh, just, you'll see why in just a moment, uh, because some of us may find some of these details shocking about a baptismal service. But he, he shares that on Easter Eve, the people who were being baptized would gather together. They would fast and pray, which they'd been doing. They'd been studying for a year or two in order to be baptized, uh, the truths of the faith. And they come together on Easter Eve, and they fast and pray through the night. And then as the, the rooster crows, as the sun starts to come up, they process down to a body of water. Um, a river or a pool, but a flowing body of water. And there, they, uh, those being baptized, take off all their clothes and jewelry, and the women let their hair down. And so, yes, they are baptized naked. So that's the part I thought you probably wouldn't want to share with Abe. Um, you might want that. It's, you know, it's a little more exposed here. But um, it was very symbolic because it's, it's the idea of new birth. I'm not taking anything into the waters. I'm going in like I was born. And before they would go in, they would be asked, do you renounce the works of Satan? To which they would reply, yes. And then they are anointed fully with oil. And then they would go into the river and they're asked a question. Here's the question. The question is, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And they would reply, I believe. And they're baptized. Immersed, by the way. They're asked the second question. Do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Spirit, Mary the Virgin, and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and was dead and buried and rose on the third day, alive from the dead, and ascended into heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead? And again, they confess, I believe. And again, they're immersed in water. And then a third question, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church and the resurrection of the flesh and the forgiveness of sins? And a third time they would cry, I believe. And then they're immersed. When they emerge from the water, they're anointed with oil again, clothed and led into the community of believers where for the first time they partake on Easter morning of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the Eucharist meal. The Apostles' Creed, which they're asked, was first a baptismal confession and then became a confession of the, the church as a whole. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, Later in life, he said, although I'm indeed an old doctor, I never move on from the childish, and he put that in quotes, doctrine of the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. I still daily learn and pray them. Now, having said this, that the creed has been around for a long time, let me also say this about our faith. We do not believe in incantations. An incantation is where you just say something and the words, you know, like open sesame 
like a magic word that opens up doors. And if I just say the magic words, these happen. It says in the book of Romans, which I think can give you a background of the, the combination. This is Romans 10, 8 through 10. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Where, where is the word? In your mouth and in your heart. You see, what Paul is going to go on and say here is there's this combination of heart, belief, and confession, words with our mouth. And you, you, you've got to have both of these at work in your life. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This great combination of heart belief and mouth confession is powerful. Sometimes, again, we fall in the ditch of one side or the other. Oh, it only really matters what I believe in my heart. I don't really have to say anything. Or I just need to say the right things. It really doesn't matter what I believe in my heart. No, no, the Bible is, is absolutely clear on both of these that that, that it, it, it stems within your heart belief. By the way, belief happens in your heart. Knowledge happens in your head. Belief changes your behavior. Knowledge may or may not change your behavior. Hello? I, I, I know it's bad to drive too fast. I know that I shouldn't smoke. I know I shouldn't watch this. I know... But I don't really believe it matters for me. If you really believed it mattered for you, it would change your behavior. Knowledge happens in the head. We know all sorts of junk that we don't act on. Some of it we don't need to act on, right? But belief happens in the heart and changes our behavior. If you believe in your heart who Jesus is and then and confess and the word confess is, is too often in the church this idea that um, I'm bad. i got to confess my sins. No, confession is really verbal agreement. I verbally agree. Jesus is Lord. That's a confession. I, I confess I'm a sinner. That's, I'm agreeing with God. We both know it, right? And so I'm confessing what is in my heart. These two powerful things go they go hand in hand. So, belief leads to confession. It's both. Tied to the heart. Let me, let me say this. In most religions, most religions set a bar that says, I know, you, you should know this. Here's the bar. Now live up to it. If you want to be a good whatever... Here, here's what it is. Christianity, in its nature, says this. You can't live up to it. But someone else has. And that someone is Jesus. And in Jesus, we believe and place our faith and our trust. And now we're going to confess back to him who he is and what he's done in our lives. 
And it's a powerful combination. So how does the Apostles' Creed help us? Let me just give you four really, I'm going to give them to you, try and give them to you fairly quick. And by the way, if you think about the Apostles' Creed as being a baptism confession, it's really like the foundational stuff. Uh, and so I'm calling it like the ABCDs, because I got four points, uh, ABCDs of the foundations of our, how, it, how it can help us as followers of Jesus Christ. You with me? Hello. All right. First, it assists in spiritual foundations. It assists in spiritual foundations. From the earliest time, the creed, the Apostles' Creed helped the church help believers with an overall knowledge of the core biblical doctrines that are important. And it's specifically focused on the essentials of what we believe about God and the world. It essentially focused on what we believe about God and the world. Now, I know that those words just kind of are washing over you like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, what we believe. Every study done within the context of the American evangelical church will show you we are confused about God in the world. We are terribly confused. Um, Lifeline, uh, Lifeway Research, which is the Baptist arm of research, and Ligonier Ministries, which is a Presbyterian uh, background ministry, did a comprehensive survey on the state of theology and the evangelical world within the last couple of years. And in, the article, in an article subtitled, What's Our Theological Temperature? Here's some of their conclusions. And again, this is about the American evangelical church. This is not about the non-church. This is in the house, in other words. Survey revealed that there's significant confusion regarding the doctrine of God. In fact, the survey revealed significant numbers affirming such heresies as denying that the Holy Spirit is a person or denying the deity of Christ. Now, we talked about that heavily in the last couple of weeks, that if you missed over the last couple of weeks of the summer, we talked heavily about the truth that, that our faith hinges upon the truth that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, the deity of Christ, and that the Holy Spirit, the second truth, not any less, is the Holy Spirit is not an it, he's a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Survey revealed views regarding human nature and sin, which were not in line with the Word of God. Survey revealed that Less than half of the American evangelical church thinks the Bible is the word of God and that it is absolutely true. Now, they might say it's the word of God, but they then would dismiss sections. Well, it's mostly true. It was mostly for then and now, this is now. Now, listen, I have to tell you, if we can't agree that the word of God is an authoritative, has authority in our lives, that it's true, then we are way, we're never... We're way off track. And it affects what we think about ethical issues, such as sex outside of marriage or whatever. You just go down the list. 
survey revealed that while 6 of 10 believe in a literal heaven, that's only 6 out of 10 believe in a literal heaven, less than half polled think you need to believe in Jesus to get there. In other words, the church itself is becoming more and more universal in our belief that there are many roads to God. We're accepting this, um, I hate to blame Oprah, but the, 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 the mindset that there are many ways to, to get to God, but we've become very populist in our theology. I could go on down, but let me just say this. A.W. Tozer says, what, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You may think a lot of different things about you are important, your looks, your talent, your ability, your background, your... Tozer says it right. What we think about God is really the most important thing about us. But many times we as believers ask the wrong questions because we are incredibly pragmatic. In other words, by pragmatic, I, 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 does it work and does it work now? I want a now fix. We're, we're in this generation of immediacy. And if I don't get it immediately, I am so put out. I mean, I, I, I laugh all the time at, you know, I, I used to have to actually go to a library. I mean, I'd have to look up in a thing called a card catalog, books, and then I'd have to wander around the library trying to figure out. I mean, hours of my day were stinking spent at the library just trying to... Now, if within 10 seconds I don't get that same thing on my computer, I am so put out. <laughs> I just saved, you know, an hour and 59 minutes at least if I just have to wait a minute. But I, what I'm saying is we live in a culture that demands a now fix. We do serve a God who can immediately say it and it's done, but he also is more concerned about developing our character, and character takes time to develop. Let me just say it again. Character takes time to develop. I know I'm preaching more than I had intended, but this is so true. We also, if it's not pragmatic, then I want to be entertained. I mean, truthfully, if you can't fix me right now, at least entertain me till you do. Let's make it funny. Let's, let's, let's have a dog and pony show. And the Christian life isn't about preferences or opinions or the latest cultural trends. And, and again, I think you can weave some of those things in, but the, it, it's ultimately about God. It is about Him and what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts about this. Okay, what are we going to boast about? That he understands and knows me. Hello? God is saying, I, here's what I want you to boast about that you understand and you know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And, and here's my contention in this. The truths contained in the Apostles' Creed, because they are biblical truths, 
They help form us in this. They can help us discover who God is. Who is God? God is the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. It helps forms us. Who is Jesus, his son? The Holy Spirit, the church. It provides solid foundations that will help us build in the days ahead. The B, so it assists in spiritual formations. It helps bring balance to our lives. Balance to our lives. <clears throat> Let me, I, I, I hate the gym. Everybody, amen, I hate the gym too. You know, I, you know, there are times in life where you try to relate what hell must be like. You know, you know what, this must be hell. This must be hell. So my idea of hell is this. It is rows and rows for all of eternity of those weight machines. And you just move, you move from weight machine to weight machine for all of eternity. Just going right on down the line. And I, I see my idea of hell, that if I were in hell, I'd be behind the sweatiest guy. You know, like he'd be the one in front of me, the guy who sweats profusely and never wipes down the machine after he's done. And I'd be following him, not only doing the weights, but following this big, big sweaty guy all eternity. I, I don't know what your idea of hell is like, but... Whenever I do go to the gym, and I've known people who work out, there's always those guys there that always do, like, chest and abs. In other words, they only do their upper body. And, and, and so from the waist up, they look awesome. But they hate doing legs, you know, because no, the chicks don't dig legs. So they like the upper body, so I'm not... So they look... They look you know, you're staring at the guy, and you're like, you don't want to stare too much because you're at the gym, but you're staring at the guy, and you're like, he's just out of balance. He just looks like, I don't know. Now, I confess, I, I do legs because I run all the time, and, you know, from my stuff, I'm just hoping God will change me somehow, but <laughs> hence my wife telling me last week I'm getting fat. If y'all were here, uh, yeah. <laughs> Same thing happens in Christianity. We get enamored with certain parts of the Christian ideal. Specific teachings. I mean, really, I've known people who loved creation. And they would study and argue all about the creation story for period, long periods of time. You know, it's not like there's stuff that happened after Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I mean, I like it, but come on. There's other stuff. I've known other people who, who went straight to the end and couldn't get out of the book of Revelation. Their whole spiritual conversations always went back to Revelation. Listen, we're from charismatic circles. I know people who, there's really only one person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I mean, they always talk about the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. Or there's only one gift, prophecy. Let's talk about prophecy. It's all about prophecy. I mean, I, 
I'm not saying any of the, all of those are important, but what happens is we, we easily can get enamored with something. And as a result, we get out of balance. I could just go down the list of great things from, from prayer to prophecy to, I mean, all of them are awesome, right? And we need it all, but we need a balance in our lives of the truths of God's word. And one of the things that the creed helps us do is to bring balance in our lives. Doctrinal understanding as mature disciples includes all of these teachings. Jesus in Matthew says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Everything I've commanded. In other words, we lose the everything aspect in Christianity too, too much. And I think one of the things that the Apostles' Creed helps, it, is, it assists in spiritual formations, giving us a good foundation, and at the same time, it'll help us bring balance in our, in our lives. Third, it creates the desire for community. Creates the desire for community. Think about this. We are a part of the people of God. Do you know, probably besides the Lord's Prayer, historically, there's been no other statement that's been quoted, said together by followers of Jesus Christ as many times and in different eras as the Apostles' Creed. You see, you're not, you are not just a modern church. You're a part of a historic community that has flown, flowed together from the time of Christ until now. He's chosen and called, called us to himself along with people of past ages. And in the present, we are part of a global community of faith. This is not just about what God is doing here at Fullness. Or if you want to go as big as you can think of, Church of the Highlands. He's bigger than that. He's a global God. He's a global Savior. And all across the world today, there are people gathering, and in many of those settings, they'll quote together the Apostles' Creed. And if you look at the wording of it, there's a, there's a together aspect. We are woven together into something much bigger than us. It makes us stronger than any of us could be individually. It protects us. You know, I, again, if you weren't here last week, uh, we looked at the book of Jude, and one of the protections against false teachers was the community. The community, the body of Christ protecting itself. You are much more likely to get picked off if you're doing something individual, than if we're together. A couple of passages just to highlight this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Peter 2, 
9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are all joined together. How are we joined together? I mean, think about it. Are we really joined together just by the fact that we come together physically in this room, sing some songs together, hear this guy get up and talk forever, and, you know, I get to be friends with... Is really that what makes us together? No, no. What the Apostles' Creed says, we're together. We are the communion of the saints. We are the... Holy Catholic, Catholic, by the way, meaning universal. We are the universal church because God has done this. It should create the desire for community, us coming together. And finally, ultimately, it should direct our steps. If I believe in my heart, then what comes out of me should change how I live, right? It should direct my steps, our belief turns into actions. Let me just highlight this real quick and then I'll be done. If you really believe that Jesus is going to return from the right hand of God the Father to judge the living and the dead, don't you think that would change the way you act a little bit? I mean, really, if you really believe, oh, he's going to return from the right hand of God the Father where he is now to judge the living and the dead. Well, I'm going to be one of those two, living or dead, right? If I really believed in the forgiveness of sins, really believed in the forgiveness of sins, as is in the Apostles' Creed, then when I sin... How many of you sinned this week? <laughs> How many of you are lying right now? <laughs> okay, you've joined. You can raise your hand too then. So when you sin, many of us, we, we try to what? Hide our sin. We try to stuff it down. Uh, let's pretend that never happened. Listen, if I really believe in the forgiveness of sins, I don't try to hide. I try to run to the forgiver right? I believe he's there. So it directs my steps. Think about this. I'm trying to provide a balance for you. He's going to come to judge the living and the dead. Okay, I don't want to sin. Uh, but when I do, I don't feel judged. I get forgiveness. You see the great balance that's presented here? If I believe in the communion of the saints and the universal church, it directs my steps. It says I can't get the same thing at home watching a live stream from somewhere as I can get in the community. It directs my steps. Because we say we know a lot, and some of the stuff we even say we believe, but our steps don't always show it. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. How do, how do we walk, people? We walk by faith, not by sight. And he goes on a couple of verses later and says, 
For we almost appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, he's saying everything directs our steps, and a lot of it has to do with the realization that we're all going to face judgment in some form or another for what we've done. The Apostles' Creed should help assist us in spiritual formations. It can bring balance to our lives. It creates the desire for community. And if we really look at it, it can help direct our steps. And so in the days ahead, we're just going to each week look at a different phrase from it with this overview. We're going to keep coming back to these ABCDs to say, okay, next week Gabe is going to preach on uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty. He's going to preach on that. How does believing in God the Father Almighty help our spiritual formations, assist us? How does it bring balance into our lives? Um, how does it create the desire for community? How does it direct our steps? And each week we're going to look at a different phrase and just go through it. It's going to be fun. Amen? I hope you're more excited today than you were even when you came in because God is going to direct our steps. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up and we're going to say this together. Stand up, and we're going to, together, as the body of Christ, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed, and then uh, we're going to sing it. We're going to worship. So, Craig, while we say it, just come on up, team, the worship team, and um, get ready. So, together, let's say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. When the ancient church would gather and say these words, it was their greatest confession of allegiance. And if you think about it, it was also their greatest confession of rebellion. Because in saying this, they were saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our allegiance is not to a state. Our allegiance is not to a king. Our allegiance is to God. My question to us as we say this, as we look at this, is... I want to encourage you to examine your life in the weeks ahead and to say, where does my allegiance lie? We reject materialism. We reject sexuality as fulfillment. We reject the modern story or narrative of success. We reject anything 
that calls our allegiance away from him and we say, I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This, this is where my allegiance lies. Lord, we thank you this morning and pray that indeed, Spirit of God, you would just draw us continually to the name of Christ. Because, Lord, as we sing this and we worship this statement of faith back to you, we, we say, Lord, this is not about us. This is about you. And though we're saying, I believe, we realize that the foundation is all in your truth. And so we celebrate it today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's rejoice. Let's close this morning by this singing.